We should be teaching people that the higher you go in the organization, the more it's about people and communication. Absolutely. It's about collaboration at the top because you don't own resources. When you're sitting in that senior manager, well, maybe the director and above, depending on how flat the organization is, and above, you're negotiating for resources all the time. Leaders have a responsibility to understand what is performance and how to measure performance beyond the widget. It is, you know, we should be measuring leadership by the capacity that they build in an organization, both from the assets point of view, machinery, product, whatever it is, but also from people. Are we building the capacity of the organization to change, to meet the challenges of the marketplace, to grow or sustain growth over long periods of time, over all kinds of unseen things? Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back here for episode 104 with our very special guest, Denise Cooper. The title today is Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Moving from Strategy to Execution. Denise has this incredible statement where she says that the problem is not our strategies, but the problem is how do we go from great strategy to successful execution and implementation? And she's here to share so many tools and ideas and strategies and new tips and tactics, frankly, for us to enhance our leadership that leads to greater and more predictable execution. She's here to talk about all things people. She's going to have this really interesting perspective on the bell curve truth of why we have so many mediocre leaders and managers. We're going to be talking about leadership, culture, growing our people, different questions to ask, understanding boundaries, and what it means to create psychological safety in the workplace. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am so looking forward to our conversation today with our special guest, Denise Cooper. She is here coming to us from Charlotte, North Carolina, and she's got a, she's got a book that's wonderful. The title will grab you immediately, Remarkable Leadership Lessons. Imagine that. We actually have leaders <laughs> who not only think they're remarkable, but actually deliver remarkable, remarkable results. I think that's what we're going to learn one thing from Denise today. She's got 25 plus years in human resource leadership. And I really loved a couple of things she talked about in her bio because they're different. And you all know I like different, not the same old. And so here's one thing she says, Denise, she's a speaker, a coach, but she's a business coach for people who hate people issues, but love getting things done. Right, right there. You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, when you're talking about that, does that mean low drama? Oh no, it goes everything from the, from zero to a hundred. Okay. <laughs> Pick your poison in between. And this is the other thing I love. 
This is a quote from Denise. The majority of corporate transformations fail to meet their objectives. We know it's usually not because of a flawed business strategy, but due to poor people management or approaches that have not changed despite the very different business model evolution. Oh, so you're saying, Denise, that we can have a brilliant strategy and still fail. What a shocking (laughs) insight. We're going to find out more about what that means. And obviously, we're going to be talking about all things leadership and people today. So welcome, Denise. Hey, thank you, guys. So, Denise, give us a little bit of the background story that brings us here today. Oh, um, I have a rather unusual background. Um, I started out, I thought I was going to be a teacher until I found out how much money they paid. <laughs> <laughs> and I happened to be working at John Morrell Factory, Meat Factory, and now it's Smithfield up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So for your audience, what they can't see is I'm a black woman from Chicago who went to South Dakota to go to school. That alone oh. defies stereotypes. That's like that's almost like Lewis and Clark. <laughs> <laughs> but after I realized that I was making more money there, um, and I had bills already after school and whatnot, I um, moved to Arkansas and I had to get a job, so I started. Um, working for the Urban League. I was a secretary because my mother said, you know, you got to figure out something to do with your life. And I happened to be able to type and do those things. So my mom said, I, you know, she made sure I could type and be a secretary because at the time I didn't know quite how I was going to go to college because we didn't have enough money to send me to college. Got a scholarship. That was all good. But once I got out of school, I realized that I had more bills than I, than I could make <laughs> as a teacher went to um, Arkansas, and I wound up working for an affirmative action program for the building construction trades. Now, Hmm. the irony of this is, is that Arkansas is a right-to-work state. They hate unions. And at the time, having women and people of color in the building trades wasn't quite the sexiest thing going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're talking about last week, right? Oh, I'm sorry. That that was (laughs) How am I, how times have not changed. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Wow. Oh, but at any rate, um, so government was coming in. They were looking at it. I was, my boss got sick. I wound up having to do the report 50% uh, halfway through it. Um, the building trace hit a timeout, said, came over to me and said, look, if you look to shut up, we will hire you and you can fix this problem for us. So I joined the team of people who were actually doing that. And from there, um, I found out that I was really good helping people figure out how to fit into places where they naturally don't fit. Wow. Um, Working with people who are bad bosses or inept bosses, or I heard your latest podcast about, you know, we really don't have, we don't teach, we don't, um, you know, the leadership programs that we have pretty much don't work. Yeah. Um, and I and I'm an evidence based person, right? So <laughs> we've been doing diversity and inclusion. We've been doing leadership training for well over fifty years, and we're still saying <laughs> we got issues. Yeah. What's wrong with that picture? Hmm. Um, and so that's that's what I wound up being very good at. And so I got picked up by a couple companies, and they didn't know what to do with me because I really wasn't interested in in the operations side of it. I really wanted to work with why we can't figure this out. And so I, I wound up in manufacturing plants and service and, you know, nuclear plants, all kinds of places, 
helping them put in <laughs> leadership teams or leader list teams um, at a time when that was just, you know, unheard of. You know, you mm. have to have on, in manufacturing on the offshift, you have to have a leader, right? Who knew <laughs> that the employees could actually self-manage? <laughs> wow. Amazing. That's actually one of the reasons I went to business school. And uh, so, you know, as my career went and multiple chapters in it, I just went from place to place. And fortunately, I got to work with some of the best leaders around the world. So I didn't understand this whole thing of, you know, there aren't enough good leaders. I, I was very lucky early in my career to have met some really smart and talented people who understood how to mix management as well as inspiration and to give mm. enough freedom to people so that they actually could excel. Yeah. And so um, I was working at a time with Monsanto. They were breaking up, being bought by Bayer and a few other companies in there. And uh, I had gotten the privilege of being on a team that for a year and a half, we, we were able to scour, 36 of us, we went around the world asking any questions we want around wow. leadership, the future of HR, what was it going to look like? What do we have to deal with? The whole works. Wow, that sounds fascinating. It was. And, and oh, by the way, because I was in a company that had really good leaders, didn't know that nobody else did that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it was also that time when we were all doing benchmarking and, you know, you go to other companies, you, you know, have a whole sheet of what are you doing? What are we doing? Et cetera, et cetera. So we were sitting around and, you know, by this time we were all kind of like, uh, a bit arrogant, <laughs> saying, what's so hard about this leadership and HR thing? So I left there and I started going out. Um, and then I, I learned why companies have strategies and they don't work. It isn't because it's a bad strategy. It's because you can't figure out how to implement the strategy. And it's not and necessarily, to, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah no, it, it what we spend all our time is figuring out the strategy, but not how to implement the strategy. And that, and that takes understanding people. Yeah. That, understand, that means you have to understand talent and performance. You have to get people who under normal circumstances would not work together to work together and to do it in a way that's cohesive and constantly learning and evolving and adapting. Um, and so fast forward, to, I, you know, I'm doing this for a bunch of companies, service, call centers, you name it. And then I met the company that just really didn't care about HR and people. I call them the first level of HR. That's where they were all about the compliance. I had an that, as in first level of hell? <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> and you know, we in the South. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, be careful. And so, you know, from that, um, I knew I was in the wrong job when the, um, the COO and another leader in the organization basically said, we can do anything we want because the government's not going to penalize us. Wow. And if we break the law, who cares? Um, and so that's when I, I got the real understanding of what was going on and how the other side lived and why that was. At the same time, I moved here to Charlotte uh, with, and uh, I always moved with a tribe of my people. So I brought my dad and mom with me and my dad did not do well in the move. The healthcare mm. system down here was not 
um, forward thinking. Um, and many of the things you hear about that happens to African-Americans in the healthcare system, he was having it and it was sucking mm -hmm. more and more and more of my time to do mm -hmm. that. And as you know, if you're a senior um, executive C-suite at the time I was a CHRO, having a family member where you're in the caregiving role is extraordinarily difficult. Now, mm -hmm. now today after 2020 and COVID and being out a year, we're all sitting here going, duh. Um, why didn't we know this before? But this is not a new phenomenon. People have been dealing with this, particularly women, have been caretakers for a very long time, trying to balance roles, period. And um, so I had to figure out what to do because I'm a very family-oriented person. My dad was all there is. And uh, I pulled out a shingle, called up some friends and said, hey, I've got some issues here. I got to stay. Let me do some work for you. And I started consulting as an HR practitioner for them, helping them measure their, the effectiveness of their HR strategy. Was it tied? Was it strongly tied to the business? What was the skill set of their HR people to be coaches and leaders? And what does that look like in the um, area? And then suddenly the leaders all were like, hey, uh, what about me? And so I started coaching leaders and kind of put, you know, left that realm and that's kind of how we are today. So the book is about remarkable leaderships. And mm -hmm. the thing that really is, you know, sets it apart is that when you have a good leader, we all talk about them. And it really is about how they have conversations with you. How do they make you feel included? How do they create psychological self safety in the workplace? Mm -hmm. As well as how do they enable you to perform well? to be better than you would mm. normally, to have teams that would be better than normal. So that's kind of the story. Wow. But Denise, you've, you've been on a journey and you, you touched on some big things there. I think you sort of said the phrase, you've all you've kind of figured this out and you alluded to some of it, but what are you finding, if you're gonna just summarize it into the core of what's the challenge, the, the myth in leadership today, what would you say that is? Um, the myth is, is that if you just tell people what to do, they will do it. And if they're smart enough, they'll figure it out. What we don't understand is that communication, you know, particularly words, are about 7% of, 7, 7% of how we um, learn. We really learn by doing. We learn by the presence of the person. We learn by the energy of that person um, and role modeling. So. Um, I, I tell leaders all the time, people might listen to your words, but they're really watching your feet. And I think most leaders have a hard time understanding that people are watching them that well and taking cues from them. Well, I think that's very true. That's certainly true. And I, I guess I'm often accused of being pessimistic. I, I, don't, I don't think that lands for me. Maybe it does, but I don't think it's true. And yesterday was reinforced. I was with somebody talking about their organization, pretty good size, $37, $38 million. And I said, well, if the, if the CEO is retiring in a year, why don't you step into that? He goes, oh, no, the successor is already determined. And I said, and he kind of rolled his eyes. I said, what? He said, well, they're promoting someone from COO to CEO who uh, has no empathy, no people skills, no listening skills. 
uh, is pretty high, in my opinion, on the narcissism scale. And nobody just nobody seems to notice or care. And unfortunately, I don't find that to be an unusual conversation. And I don't think it's that they don't notice. So um, smart, bad bosses like you just described are really good at navigating and working up. So the only people who really see the bad behavior are the people who have to report to them or the people who have to do work for them. And unfortunately, very few boards will go down and actually ask. (laughs) And very few HR strategies are such that they actually can measure the impact of a leader in an organization and and do it in a way that's growth oriented versus punitive. One of the things that, you know, we talk about or I talk about a lot is, did you know HR really hasn't changed in about 100 years? (laughs) No. Well, I'm not surprised just because very little has changed in a lot of different areas. But it's the same stuff. And it's basically compliance. And the job of most HR firms or HR functions is to protect the corporation from bad bosses. I think that's that misses the mark so badly when we can have the strategic HR people like you that understand the value of people who can interact with others and who can actually lead. And it's, it's all tied back to the business as well. Wow. What, what a difference that can make. Yes. Um, and go ahead. Oh no, please. And, and here's the, here's the big or the big wow, for (laughs) lack of a better word of saying it is that, um, many HR people don't understand the same things that we're talking about. They're very good at, you know, oh, let me recruit. Okay. And so here's the question I always scratch my head at. Um, Jeff, you've got an opening. What are you looking for? And Jeff will say, somebody who can do the job. Skills, right? <laughs> We're talking about the technical skills yeah. and they don't talk about the people skills. None. And Crazy. the recruiter basically just goes, okay. And so every, you know, whether it's Indeed, all of those things, it's yeah. all about the technical skills. And, and I'm not asking that people have to fit, but one of the things that HR has to start talking about is culture build. We shouldn't be, we are moving through. So, you know, I'm a, sci- I'm a geek, a bit of a geek. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> one of the things we know is about the change curve, right? And so we've hit a point, a precipice, where the technology is now becoming user-friendly and that we're seeing products come at it. What we know about this curve is, is that it accelerates change. And we're in a point where we are accelerating change. We have some moral issues that we have to, or ethic, moral and ethical issues that we have to deal with um, in the workplace and in our society in general, that right now we don't have a way to have that conversation. And because we can't have that conversation, um, we're struggling to create workplaces that people feel like they actually belong. What is the key point that, that we need to get to? What is the question that, that the leadership needs to be asked to expose that it, they're not doing the right job? It is relative. To me, it's relatively easy. So 
right now for most HR functions, um, they know who the bad leaders are because they get employee complaints. You can look okay. in the performance management system and you can clearly see the difference between those managers who actually um, put together good goals and people are excelling and those that aren't. But then they put on top of a, a system of a bell curve, which forces everybody towards the middle. Yeah. And one of the things I say about the bell curve is, remember, it's got a hump in the middle. Half of that hump is underperforming. Yeah. So no matter what it is, 50% of your ma management team is underperforming minimally. Hmm. Well, so yeah, that that raises a really interesting question because as you were talking about, they know who the bad bosses are. I think that's true. The question is, are they willing to do something about it? But the bigger question to me is that bell curve that you've got a lot of leaders and managers who aren't showing up as bad, but they're just mediocre. Yes. The question: Do you have any that are actually excelling? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and I'm finding sometimes you don't even have that. So your whole system is at best mediocre. But, and here's the big but, a lot of those companies in some way succeed because they're not failing. The companies on paper are not failing. And I think a lot of times they say, what do we need to work on? We're okay. They're just doing we're as profitable. badly as everybody else. We're making, well, we're making money. We, we you know, our turnover is high, but everybody's is high. And there, I think there's so much that we can succeed despite ourselves mm -hmm. and not get the people side right. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the challenges to change because the pain isn't big enough. And, yeah. Well, we also present the pain very differently. So the thing that moves people in general is to understand that the way you're behaving is not alignment with your values. Right. We don't talk about values. And you're right, there's the greed factor. You know, we're, we're perking along, we're average, we're, you know, we're not bad, which is fine. Is but if that the, is that the measure of how you wanna live as a human being? Well, it comes back to toleration. You know, it, it, Jeff has a, a big statement that what you tolerate becomes the new bar. Mm -hmm. And performance is, is a relative thing. Everybody sees that. Well, or many people will tell you that performance is an absolute. It isn't. Look to the left, look to the right. You just got to be better than those two people. Okay. <laughs> and if those, two, and if the bar is set that low, it's, it's, oh, we're missing so much in our organizations. Yes. So from an HR perspective, how much effort is actually put into people development throughout the organization? I mean, we're talking uh, people skills, not just technical skills. Um. Well, as any bell curve, <laughs> uh -oh. I think the question, so let me answer your question, then let me mm -hmm. pose a different question. Okay. I think that for the most part, we, most companies are set up to train people on the technical or business side. Right. They, they will give a class on communication. But the communication class, or they will have an assessment like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC or something mm -hmm. like that, that's supposed to help people become empathetic and, and sensitive to the needs of other individuals. But the way that they, the, the strategy is really all about making you better to make the company better. 
Right. Amen. Not to, yeah, not to be aligned with your values of how are we going to exist and coexist as human beings, uplifting society. Yeah. It's very interesting how we, you know, we took this, this detour about the purpose of work. There was a time when purpose, the purpose of work, Henry Ford, et cetera, was about the upliftment of people, men at the time, because men were doing the work. But it was really about creating communities where people could thrive and live that weren't agrarian or, you know, the whole um, agricultural side of it and to bring um, economic wealth in it into the community. We've, we have forgotten that. So one of, you know, when I worked at one of my companies, the CEO was very clear about it is, we have to understand it is a privilege to be in a community. And yes. at any time that community could say, we are not living up to. And he was very clear that being a good community citizen meant more than um, not being a polluter, not being someone who um, was unethical, et cetera. But it was about, we had to take care of our employees and our employees were responsible for being leaders in the community. So and, good. And so, um, small towns, and particularly you see this in smaller towns where, you know, every company has a pyramid. There's only one CEO, but that doesn't mean that we don't have hundreds of leaders. Mm -hmm. And so the encouragement of having people be good leaders and good citizens in the community fulfills our need to contribute because ultimately what we want to be is seen, heard, and relevant. Yes. And money is an enabler. It is not that to be defined, but too often we see how much money I make, my job title, people get lost in that, that is now defining me. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. I'm curious, Denise, along the lines of the people, we've got a unique time in history today because mm -hmm. we've got, what is it, five or six generations working together. Yes. That is a unique wow. time, all with very different potentially different values based upon the generational time messages they got. Now we mix it. It's talk about a melting pot. Yeah. You got generational differences on what is work, what is management, what is leadership. And now we've also got generational differences in life experience. And then we've got different groups, all those things. And to me, a leader could look at that and say, Oh my God, what do I do with that? And I think most say, I'm not going to do anything with it. It's too complicated. But to me, leaders have an opportunity to lead in that consciously. And I'm wondering, are you seeing leaders that are looking at that and taking that on versus just saying, oh, my God, what there do I do? Some, yeah, 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 there's some companies that 
do it. So, but the bulk of companies don't know how to do it. They throw their hands up just like you just did. Um, and part of what we what needs to happen is is that we need to have ways in which leaders who are in the point of throwing up their hands have a way to see a way to be better at it. You know, I, I say all the time, if you can't see a way, what you see is what's in the way. And what's in the way <laughs> is something that will block you from ever moving forward. Keeps us on the fence. Well, to me, it from- seems like the, the job of leadership is to deal with the complexity so that you're, you know, basically somebody that's working at a higher level should be working at more complexity than the people that are working below them so that they can simplify things for each layer down. If we're talking about layers, if we're talking about working with, you know, whoever it is, I need to simplify a job so that you can perform that function as well as you can. But if we're saying that the leaders are throwing up their hands and saying, oh, I'm not willing to do that, are they really dismissing the whole concept of, of leadership? Or, yes. or how do you see that? Yes. And part of the, going back to just um, issue of five generations in the workplace, mm-hmm. If you don't talk to the five generations and create a way in which the five generations can actually see what their commonalities are versus their differences, yeah. if you don't help the, you know, I, I work in retail and retail has, you know, 20 somethings um, managing large teams. Yeah. And, and no one is there helping them. And of course, you know, older people coming in there who could be their mom or dad um, in the process. Are coming in, and of course they've got more life experience, but there's not an openness, and there's not a requirement of being open mm. to learn and to see what your lived experience has been and how you can bring it in on both sides. Yeah, because this is a you know this is a digital uh, digital babes um, world here, and the technology and where we're going is necessary for all of us to figure out how we can do. But to help people embrace that instead of feel like I have to be the, the smartest person in here. I've got the title. I'm supposed <laughs> to know. And, and we live in this thing of, you know, the imposter syndrome. I mean, we've, I hate the term because we seem to have made that the catch-all for poor performance. I can't be a poor, good performer. I can't be a good leader because I have imposter syndrome. Well, wait a minute. Everybody feels unsure. About new things. Yep. So, does it come back to having good mentors or not having good mentors that that makes that? Because if we're talking about twenty somethings now managing, you know, other types of groups, if they haven't had good mentorship and there's not a program inside the organization to develop the people skills and help them to understand that they're no longer technical experts, but now they're people experts. What are we to do? Um, how about you put a program in that helps them learn how to, <laughs> and that yes. is, and this, and, and the assumption is, so, you know, if we, if Apple has an upgrade, it, you know, you got to go in, click and make sure you get an upgrade and it's pretty much done. Project <laughs> management, there's a beginning, middle and end. Right. You can measure it. The issue with people is, is that they, we have to learn to be adaptable. And yeah. for the most part, there's little requirements that we need to evolve and adapt yes. across the board. It's not just leaders. It's even employees. 
Now, when you say requirements, are you saying requirements from the job performance expectations or are you talking about the actual job? Both, both. Because tech, so think of the job itself. Very few people are doing the same job that they were doing five years ago. Sure. So from a technical point of view, there's always advancements, particularly now. I mean, mm -hmm. we're manufacturing is moving very fast to robotics sure. and exoskeletons so that people are not, you know, hurting themselves in doing that. And so we've got all those folks have to learn just as much as um, anybody else in there. But the other side of it is, is that we have to be about learning and having conversations that are about discovery, about yeah. help being curious about other individuals. The other, and, the, and the other piece, I think we, as, and in workplaces particularly, we can generate conversations that help people learn how to forgive oh, and to wow, embrace so our good. humanity and imperfection. Wow. We are yes. imperfectly perfect. We are not going to be all on point all the time. And yet we've become, we've put leaders in this platform of they have to be perfect all the time. That is humanly impossible. So, Denise, at the risk of asking an overly simplified question, but I'll do it anyway. I'm hearing a lot of what you said and other things guests have said. I'm going to throw out a couple options and just see what your response is. Okay. Certainly, there are leaders out there, and I'm putting that in positional leaders, who don't care about their people. Yep. They just don't. To them, it's, it's just a nuisance. <laughs> Look, as long as we can keep people here long enough to get the work out and we're making money, we're good. So we've got that group. Then mm -hmm. we've got group who say, I, the people are important. I think we're getting it right. We don't need to do anything because we're getting it right. Then you've got those that say, there's things we could do better, but I don't know what to do. It's so complex. So if you look at those groups, you've got the group that says, I don't care. The group that says, I care, but I think we're already fine, which might be a blind spot. And then the group that says, <laughs> I know we've got issues, but I don't know how to solve it. Are you seeing more leaders in any of those buckets than others, or is it just a hodgepodge? I think we've got probably more leaders in the middle bucket. Okay. Because they, um, so much has changed in the last five years. They have no idea. And, and my belief system is fundamentally people don't wake up to be bad performers. <laughs> right. Yes. They're, whatever you're getting out of them, they're doing the best job they know how to do. So the question is, how can we help those people who, if we believe that people are fundamentally um, trying to do the best, even those people who say, screw it, how do we have conversations with them? How do we help them understand that all of us can get better? And getting better doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have bigger uh, bottom lines. But it does mean that we're going to have sustainability as a company. Yeah. And it's not just about today's um, revenue and income, but it's really about, is this going to be a sustaining, successful organization that is going to be part of this community and helps build this community to be something that it may not have been any, at, at a different time? 
So now we're expected to move from short-term thinking to playing in the infinite game. So yes. you can play that, you know, one-off game where I win, you lose versus this long-term game where we, we have to win together, yes. just like any good relationship. Yeah. Yes. And to do that, then what, what do you see as the, the critical components there? Um, for us, well, let me, t- let me say in a company, the mm-hmm. most critical p- component is, is that they start talking about their values and what their beliefs are. Great. You start with that conversation. You start with understanding what causes us not to be able to bring our full self to work. Mm. What are the stories and the structures? And you can ask the stories. You know, when I went into a new company, the, there's a couple of questions I always ask. One is, how does somebody get fired around here? <laughs> I love that. That's one of my, my twists on that, Denise. I always say, how hard or easy is it to get fired? Yeah. yeah. And when you get fired, what happens? Is it the you know long green mile where you got your box and the two guards and do, 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 do you disappear? You know, suddenly the person's totally erased uh, from everything. Or is there a level of, hey, there was some dignity, even even yeah. people who don't fit. How do you create dignity for those individuals? Because totally how right. you treat them sets up the cycle of the psychological safety for how I get treated. Because Absolutely. no one wants to be embarrassed. It no really does come back to, to trust in that, yeah. in that situation. And I, I would guess as you're starting down this path, you say, we need to start having conversations about values and you know, where, how you may not be, be served. But that also requires a level of trust. Well, I would say it requires a level of openness. Yes. Right. But you can't have openness without trust. I don't think. Um, I'm not sure. I can be open and I can, how I, I that's the question because I can choose to be open despite questions about trust in order to create the possibility of. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I can see that. And really it's about what are you attached to? Are you attached (laughs) to being perfect? And having the perfect answer, or are you attached to being um, a learner? And you know, I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm not going to feel good when I make mistakes because none of us will, because we all do want to do the best job we can. But I'm going to do it anyway. I, I tell people all the time, you know, leadership is like learning how to ride a bike. You can read every book you want. You can go interview Lance Armstrong and all the top people. <laughs> you can watch every YouTube video there is. But until you get in that role, until you get on that bike, you don't know what it's like to be a leader and to ride the bike. And you're going to fall. You're going to make mistakes. Even the best riders make mistakes, fall off the bike. So that's a great point. So that's a piece that you cannot be afraid of. So what about how do you recover? Yes. And so within the organization, they need to make it clear. And, and it be real that it's okay to make mistakes as you're learning. Yes. And we encourage you to constantly learn. So there's no innovation without some risk. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so somebody's going to hear this and go, Oh, you're crazy. Because like, <laughs> I, I know Bubba over here. <laughs> and I would never let him because I don't trust him or, you know, Debbie over here, blah, 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 blah. What, what we have to do is understand the, the boundaries of the risk. It's measured risk. Yeah. And we point. have to communicate to people measured risk. 
So what does risk look like? So mm-hmm. you have a customer, they're really upset. Um, you give them their money back without asking. That's one. Right. The other risk is that, um, you know, you see your, your, you know, somebody doing something totally unethical. And can you stand up and say, hey, not, not right. Yeah. You know, we're talking about multiple generations, multiple kinds of people in here. It's the difference between being an ally, somebody who'll say, hey, I'm going to stand with you and an accomplice, somebody who's going to see something <laughs> wrong and start helping to dismantle mm. that which is broken, that which is not, not there to be, to, that, is in, that helps people. And, and we don't make those separations. And, and it's not just about diversity. It's hmm. about, you know what, the sales program that we put in is causing people to um, not treat our customers the right way, to open up accounts that, yeah. <laughs> that they shouldn't open up for people. Yeah. You know, Denise, you've talked about something a few times. I want to drill down into it. You talked about the phrase of psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, And from my experience, from a brand perspective, the person who I think has been out front with that is Simon Sinek, Mm -hmm. maybe because he's got the larger stage. He's not the only one, but he talks about a simple concept that people want to feel safe. They want to just what you said. They want to feel seen, heard, valued, relevant, and safe. It to me is a simple concept and I I keep coming back to is the biggest obstacle that people don't know how to get there or do they genuinely look at that and say, what are you talking about? We have to produce things and make a profit. My job, and I don't mean harsh way, but leaders saying it's not my job to make sure that your life is okay. And I still don't have a clear answer. I think there's a mix I don't think, as my friend Tommy Spaulding said, you know, most leaders don't wake up and say, I'm going to go be an asshole today. <laughs> they don't. No. But they all think they're doing it right. And that's his premise. And I think that's more of that, like that middle group that thinks they've got this down. Yeah. But they don't because our people are suffering. They're suffering in their lives. And the last year has demonstrated it. Yeah. People well, are hurting in the world. And part of it's their work. Let me give you a, a way out of that conundrum. We're not talking about me taking over the responsibility for your life. Right. But what I am saying is that it is my responsibility as a leader that I help you understand what performance is, that I give you the tools to enable you to be able to perform, that I understand enough about your life that we have a bit of a connection. We can see each other's perspective and that I'm open to listening to your ideas about work. So it's not about, you know, coming in and, you know, I've got, oh, woe is me and the creditors are bothering me and da, 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 da. But what it is about is we're at work. We have another life. We have technology now that allows us to really think about where work needs to be and what does that look like. But. We also have a responsibility and leaders have a responsibility to understand what is performance and how to measure performance beyond the widgets. It is, you know, we should be measuring leadership capacity or or leadership by the capacity that they build in an organization. 
both from the assets point of view, machinery, product, whatever it is, but also from people. Are we building the capacity of the organization to change, to meet the challenges of the marketplace, to grow or sustain growth over long periods of time, over all kinds of unseen things? Amen. I mean, that, that is so, so true. And when we look at that longer term perspective and we're building our people, how can you possibly say, I, that's not my job? That is your job to make sure that those people can do the best job that they can do. And part of that is that they know how to build relationships. That may mean that we're helping them have a better quality relationship at home, which impacts their quality of what they do at work. I find that if you can help people learn how to work together better, it naturally goes to home. Absolutely. Because we're not, you know, this, we're not schizophrenic, right? right? We don't have a home life and a work life. Although some people say they are. No, they no, I'm different at home than I am at work. Well, <laughs> let me talk to you. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Let's right. go get some fear. Let's go get yes. some feedback. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Let's, let's test that theory. <laughs> because that sounds like, you know, and, and to some extent, when we're having conversations, we get derailed by many of the comments and questions that you're asking. Yeah. So I don't know how to answer those things. When what the, what the real answer is, not so much about the wig, widgets and the products and the services, but we're afraid to be compassionate because we don't know that compassion is really understanding empathy. It's the empathy part, but still holding people accountable. Yes. Okay. So how do we have a conversation that is empathetic, but still holds people accountable? One of the best questions I tell all my leaders is, you know, when you're giving out assignments, when you're delegating, ask this, how will I know it's done so I don't have to micromanage it? And let the person tell you, hey, well, you know what? I'll send you an email or I'll stop by your desk or how will I know you're in trouble and this isn't going the right way? You mean people can be self-accountable? <laughs> Maybe not in all companies. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think a, a lot keeps coming back to me because I'm a question guy. We're asking the wrong questions. And, you know, you, Craig, you said that's your job to develop people. That's either that person decides that is their job or someone in the company said that's what the expectation is. Or because they in, didn't and they just don't well, know. That's what I'm saying. They didn't. So it's still, they could decide to do that. Right. But the company hasn't said that's what's expected. Like, I'd love to hear, Denise. I know, I will tell you, I almost never hear this conversation going on in companies where they're asking, so who's our best people developer here? Ooh, what a great question. Yeah. Why aren't we, that's not the question we're asking. Who's your top performer? And we haven't put that in the bucket. You know, when someone's about to be considered for a step up, Okay, well, they're stepping up. That probably means they got more people reporting to them. How good or bad are they at developing people? Oh, no, but they're the best technical person. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, so that's a failure of understanding the hierarchy of an organization. Yes. You know, back to HR. We should be, we should be teaching people that the higher you go in the organization, the less it's about people, the more it's, or the more it's about people and communication. Absolutely. It's about collaboration at the top because you don't own resources. When you're sitting in that senior manager, well, maybe the de- director and above, depending on how flat the organization is, and above, you're negotiating for 
resources all the time. You, and we make and we have to make decisions around that. Well, I don't want to derail this conversation because it's really good. I do have a question about something that you mentioned earlier. You talked about working with an organization that had self-managing teams. Mm-hmm. How does that impact the way that we lead when we don't have a clear hierarchy? What is critical, what I found was critical in that is, is that people understand what their roles are and what decisions need to be made. Okay. And what and when decisions are being made, how do they get made? And so you have to, when you have leaderless teams, you have to have a clear hierarchy of how decisions get made, hmm. because you need to know what the box is that we can make decisions in, who's going to make it, when does it happen? But then you've got to have a box that says, no, this decision has to go okay. to X, Y, Z. And the hardest those... part in self-managing right. teams, excuse me, um, the hardest part about self-managing teams is this whole idea of who's contributing. Hmm. And so if you've got a higher performer than someone who's lower performer, you've got to have the conversation with the team on what does that look like and what do they want to do about the lower performer. How well does that, man- does that happen inside the team? If you give them the skills to do it, it happens well. Okay. You just can't toss them in a <laughs> right. I know we like to think that. <laughs> oh, you four people. Boom. You know how to ride a bike. Just jump in there. <laughs> yes. I gave you the manual. But it goes back to your question earlier around, you know, are we really teaching people how to work together? Are we clear about what that means? Are we clear about what communication skills you have to have to be able to do that? And this, you know, the, there isn't a leader that doesn't want to be sitting in that table where I've got to turn to you and say that your performance is bad. It's a tough, it, it's a tough position to be in sure. because we want to be good news people. <laughs> and, we, and we've been taught all our lives, you don't tell a mother her baby's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't. From the time, you know, we, think about it. How, you can be in the store. Kids, we're going, ooh, that was ugly. And the mother's grabbing them and going, hey, hey. You know, don't say that. But having people be able to have conversations that say, I really do understand this. And this is the result that we need to have. Tell me how we're going to achieve this result. Helping them understand how to get around the emotional tenor that people sometimes bring that shuts them down and they don't say anything. And being okay in the silence. Hardest uh-huh. thing I teach leaders to be shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask the question. Shut up. <laughs> so good. So it's it's interesting what you just said. I'm I'm going to throw something new in here to get some feedback. I'm listening to a book right now. Literally today, I listened to this part. The book isn't about leadership, but it is about leadership completely. Mm-hmm. It, the book is called Cast. Hmm. Mm. And it is a wonderfully disturbing book in a good way. It's, it's tough. But what they talked about today, they were talking about the concept of alphas mm-hmm. within teams and in leadership and in nature, like with the wolf pack and all this. And there's actually not just alpha males, there's actual, there are alpha females in the pack too. But the misunderstanding they were talking about in a different context was People think that the alpha are the loudest, biggest, strongest, most aggressive. And they're saying that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Huh. Because in the wild, 
the alpha is actually the one that's most confident and therefore they are quiet. Hmm. They are people, uh, the, the pack follows them because they see their strength without them showing the strength. There's no show in the alpha, but our culture of leadership today has got it backwards. I think that so many leaders feel like I got to show my strength. I have to show my leadership versus asking questions, mm-hmm. shutting up, mm-hmm. you know, supporting people from behind versus dragging them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to learn more about it, but it was an interesting shift in my perspective of what is really alpha naturally versus how, how it applies to leadership today. Well, when you listen to it's an interesting evolution that we have now, but for years and years and years, the leader was the heroic person in the room. They, you know, they were, they were the ones that came in, the, the line was down, the, you know, um, the company was in a turnaround spin or there was a, something was bad happening in the team and they came in and rescued the day. And then we promote that person because they were smart on their feet and they could rescue everyone else. And so this heroic leadership model, if you read all many of the books, it's very interesting. Um, prior to, I think it's like 1950 in the military, there was no sense of a heroic leader, but today everybody says the military makes the best leaders and they're all heroes. There was a shift where that, that language started evolving and coming out that, the, lead, that the, the, the leader had to be the person who saved the day. Hmm. And that's, that's the shift that happened from the leader was the person who was the shepherd to the leader who was the rescuer. Hmm. And so when we think of leaders today, we think of who's rescuing us. Who's speaking out for me and I, so I don't have to risk taking a stand and being an owner of my destiny because my leader's going to protect me. My leader's going to get me promoted. My leader's going to be the one to make sure that I'm, I have a job. Versus my leader is the one that's going to help me find my voice. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, I, 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 we're getting near time. We got to wrap up, but as you shared that, Denise, what hit me when you said shepherd is I thought went right to David. <laughs> yeah. Went right to David. No, very, no show. There's like, who's, who's going to go out and fight this dude? In total confidence. And he says, I will. I will. There was no show in David. I mean, probably parts of his life, but he, he was that quiet. He had wrestled the wolf and the bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. I like that word shepherd because the shepherd, if you think about the true meaning of the shepherd, it's not a caretaker, right. but it's the shepherd serves the flock. Yes. Right. So, okay. So I love that. Thank you, Denise. This has been so enriching. I know to me and Craig and to all the folks who are going to hear this, I, I want to do this. So first of all, is there anything in particular you want to promote that's going on for you or your business? Well, there's a couple of things. One, I'd love folks to buy my book. <laughs> I'll be how do they, how do they get that? that? Um, you can go, you actually can put in Denise Cooper on amazon.com and it'll take you right to my page. Okay. The other thing is, is that if, you, if you're an HR professional and you want to understand this, I'm putting on a masterclass May 17th. Hmm. Um, it's virtual um, and you can 
you're interested in attending it, it's remarkableleadershiplessons.com backslash masterclass. And you'll get information on that. And uh, it's three hours. Um, it is starting to help. Uh, the purpose of it is to help HR people begin to understand how to find the courage to bring compassionate action into the workplace and to build structures that are actually going to help um, mold a culture that is not only adaptable, but welcoming to others. Hmm. I love that. So good. Wow. So you mentioned a couple of websites. In addition to that, what's the best way for people to connect with you, Denise? I tell everybody, go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn? <laughs> link. I, really, I am. I'm an active LinkedIn uh, person, and it's just put in Denise Cooper. I'm in Charlotte. Remarkable Leadership Lessons. Click on it. Um, let me know you heard it through this show, so I know you're not spamming me. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. Right. So, Denise, we always wrap up with a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. The first question for you is, what's the book that people need to read to grow their leadership? Um, it is an old book, um, but and, and not necessarily in print, but it's called Leadership on the Line. Staying, uh, and, and the point of it is, is it talks about adaptive leadership, that there's the project management part of leadership, beginning, middle, and end. But the other part of it is, is how do you change a person's mind? How do you navigate the politics of an organization? Hmm. And how do you hold yourself? How do you grow your own personal capacity to be able to weather the change as well as help other people change? Is this by Ronald Heifetz and Marty yep. Linsky? Okay. Yep. It's a wonderful book. It is available on, on Amazon. Fantastic. And the second question, Denise, is you've shared so much wisdom with us already, so a little bit of pressure. Give us the wisdom bomb. What's that one piece of wisdom our listeners need to hear? I think that every, people ought to recognize that everybody is a leader. You are influencing somebody all the time. And yep. because it's not about what you speak, it's about who you are and how you treat others. Gossip so is one of those things that we all engage in, but it teaches everybody else around us. Are you trustworthy? Because if you're telling somebody else a secret, I can expect you're going to tell mine. Yep. Are you kind? Because mm -hmm. if you're talking, uh, if you're unclear and unkind, as Brene Brown says, um, with other individuals, then I can expect that of me. If you're unable to be courageous and stand for what for your own personal values, then I will believe that you will not stand to protect me or stand with me with my values. Mm, good stuff. I love that one, Denise. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And even more importantly, thank you for the work you do in the world because it matters. You guys are so kind and I so appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to share with the listeners and you guys are really good questioners. Over <laughs> <laughs> well, here. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. 
Cartevere is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevere tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.